Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Permissionless Podcast. Today, I'll be chatting with Allison Clancy. Allison has been in the marketing and community building side of things for over a decade. She recently made the transition from tech to music slash music tech with the mission of helping artists and music companies connect to audiences through fan-focused tactics. She has a lot of interesting pieces to her background as well. I'm going to have a larger bio on the Permissionless episode page so you can catch up there. Welcome. Hello. Hello, Selena. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy that you're on here. And we met briefly, um, probably, what, a year ago or so? And I wish we had a longer time to connect then. We have so many things in common. I know, I know. But you know what? At least we've found each other now. So it all it all worked out. That is very, very true. <laughs> so you have a very interesting background and also a really interesting journey between tech and music. So I'm, I'm curious, you mentioned briefly, and I've seen this on Instagram too, that you had a really musical family. Can you just tell me a little bit about that side of things? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I grew up with a family of musicians and artists. So my father was a bass player um, and he would be in bands all the time. He just like littered our house with instruments and amps and wires and there'd be random band members always around just jamming out um and then you know from that you know origin story both me and my brother are music obsessed and so my brother also became a musician where he played the trombone and also the guitar and then i sang all through college and high school so we were kind of like a partridge family situation for a while there um, and music was always, you know, top of the list for subjects at the dinner table. Um, that was just something we consistently talked about, whether it was, you know, older music like my mother's Motown records or my father's obsession with the Beatles or what he was working on uh, with his band. So I kind of grew up thinking that everybody had that background. Like music was, you know, a priority for everybody's family, because when you're little, you know, that's your world. That's all you know. Um, and then as I grew older, I, I figured out real quick that that's not what everybody grew up with. So, you know, just from, you know, day one, I feel like music was always impressed upon me as a really important subject and a non-negotiable in terms of, you know, breathing, food, sleeping, music, right? So that's mm -hmm. just always the, the lens I've had with it. It's so interesting how family can imprint that type of thing. Just the environment that you grow up in is something that comes naturally to you all through your life. Oh, yeah, because I have friends where music was never played in the home and music was never um, really brought up as a central discussion. And, you know, when we met each other, there was this big clash of like, what are you talking about? Um, so I think, yeah, I think where you come from and the interests your family has is so um, it's so imprinted on you as a little one, and then you carry that with you as you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So where did you end up going to college? Yeah, so I went to Northeastern University uh, right in Boston because I, uh, I actually went to a school out in more rural Western Massachusetts for a year. Really had a great freshman year, you know, had some times, but then I, I wanted to be a city girl and I wanted to really be um, just embraced in the Boston lifestyle. So I transferred schools and um, yeah, I was there for four years. Nice. And what yeah. did you study? Journalism and graphic design, which even okay. at that time, journalism was going through a really rough 
um, period of time where digital was starting to come into the, the conversation. And then graphic design was funny because, you know, I learned Photoshop. I learned all of that. But I feel like now that that's been 10 years ago <laughs> or so, my God, yeah. I, I feel like I don't even have the, the cred to say I minored in that because it's just so much has changed. <laughs> mm-hmm. So where did the tech side of things come in? Was it going through college and just learning more about the tech world? Or did you come across a job when you were graduating that you were really interested in? Oh, I think like social media being, I think it's interesting where the timing of, of my age and then the boom of social media and content creation all lined up in this really perfect way where, um, you know, I took to blogging like a fish to water. You know, I had a live journal back in the day and, and for the youth who are listening to this, it was, you know, a blogging site where you would share your feelings and, you know, it was basically like my diary that I just put out there. Um, I was part of the Tumblr community, the really early stages of it in Boston. I still have a lot of friends from that time. So I feel like I always just kind of was drawn to um, especially social media and what was happening with that and then just kind of ran with it. And my journalism design um, art background really translated to that because I've always loved writing. I've always loved connecting with people. Um, you know, I'm a big people connector, but I, I feel like I feel safer online, like connecting online first and then bringing it to offline spaces. So I always felt like it was the best way for me to express myself as well. Do you remember with MySpace way back in the day when they had the MySpace secret shows on the bulletin board, they would pop them up? Yes, I do. I haven't thought of those in a while. They were so cool. Just the idea of doing it that way. Yeah. And music was huge on MySpace back in the day. I mean, like Katy Perry broke on MySpace, a bunch of those like simple plan kind of emo bands broke on MySpace. So, you know, it's kind of like what TikTok is doing now for songs and artists. MySpace really was that, you know, Mm -hmm. it was really hot for a while. So again, I'm just saying that for any young people listening to this. It was cool (laughs) back in the day. (laughs) It was. It was really cool until it went through that strange transition. And then it just became, I think it just essentially became profiling artists and stuff like that. I don't even know what it is or what it I don't, ended up being. <laughs> I don't either. I mean, I think Justin Timberlake took over or he invested like a certain amount of money, but then I didn't hear anything about it after that. So not really sure. I know they're still around though. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. You took a leap and you ended up at some point moving across country. So what was that like? <sighs> yeah, it's, it's one of my favorite things to talk about because I I wouldn't say I was like a risk taker for a long time. Um, you know, stayed in my little communities and my little Massachusetts bubble. I would take risks sometimes, but I hadn't really had the opportunity to do that with my career. Um, and when I graduated college, I got a social media manager job at a food nonprofit in Boston, uh, right in the city. And that was, that was great. And, you know, I, I kind of rocked with that for a little while. And then they they made the mistake, really, of sending me to a food conference in San Francisco. And I had never been to California, hadn't been to the West Coast. I think I had like a layover in L.A. once, but that was like my big West Coast, um, you know, influence. And so I went to this food show in San Francisco and I just fell in love like you you read about. Like I just never felt so pulled to a state like California. And I just knew when I got back that I had to move. And it was surprising to me, it was surprising to my network, but I just knew it so deep in my soul that like California was my place. 
And, you know, it took a long time. I, I spent a year applying for jobs. Nobody wanted to hire me because I was still on the East Coast. And then I ended up getting a startup job in Seattle of all places. And, and kind of my strategy with that was being like, well, it's not California, uh, but it's on the West Coast. I'll do this for a while and see what happens. And, you know, Seattle was very hard for me. Uh, I did not deal well with that weather at all. And once I kind of figured that out, I set my sights on California again, because that was kind of always the one. And then out of nowhere, I got a job in San Diego, which was, again, not something I planned for, had never really thought of San Diego. Um, but I took a chance, I went, and now I've been in San Diego for seven years, because I love it so much. It looks beautiful. I've only been there, I think, once or twice. I ended up eating in the Gaslamp headquarters oh, area, oh, yeah. I think that's what yeah. it's called. Yeah, yeah but it is Gaslamp very dreamy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just the best. You know, I've spent lots of time in, in other parts of California now, like more time in the Bay Area, more time in LA, um, you know, all the desert spots, things like that. And I just still think San Diego's the best. So it was such a happy, you know, the universe put me here, even though I was kind of like, okay. Um, and it all worked out. So yeah, I love it here. What I think is interesting is how it's kind of like a series of happy accidents. You were aiming for California, but then you were pulled to Seattle for a job and then you kept California in your sights. And then it ended up lining up where you found the San Diego job and love it there. So I think a lot of exactly. people fight the uncertainty. If it's not exactly what they want, they'll either do the second thing and then stick with that and never really make the leap to the thing they want, or they yeah. just won't do it at all. I think it's awesome that you took that leap and it roundabout way brought you to the state you wanted to be in. Oh, absolutely. And I always tell people, you know, when you take a chance, you might not get exactly what you want, but everything's a learning opportunity. Um, and it, it might be that you weren't ready for that thing you wanted just yet. Like maybe you had some things you had to really learn, whether that's in your life or in your career or about yourself. And it's all in preparation for that thing that you're going to eventually get to. Um, so yeah, that's, that's something I always try to impart upon people when they ask me, like, how'd you move? And do all these things. It takes time, but it also takes a lot of starts and stops for sure. Mm -hmm. So at this point, when did you know that it was time to go roundabout back to music and really have that in your life? Yeah. And you know, I, it's important to say growing up in Massachusetts, I was surrounded by the artist side of music, but I didn't see anybody who was in the business side of music. I didn't even know that was a thing, right? Um, it's not like New York City or LA or even Seattle and Nashville, you know, there really isn't that kind of industry unless you're, you're working um, in jobs that I just didn't even know about when I was younger. So I, I kind of held on to that for a long time. And then in 2018, I went to my first So Far Sounds show. Um, have you heard of So Far? I haven't. Mm -mm. Okay, so it's um, been around for 10 years now, started in London, and now there's 344 different chapters worldwide. And the whole premise is to bring the concert experience back to the artist and back to the music. So that's where the focus is. And they pick like these very unique kind of out of the way venues. And then they have three independent artists or early stage artists jump up and they play for an audience of about like 50 to 100 people. And in San Diego, the chapter had been going for, I think, maybe four years. And um, I heard about it through a music industry friend she was like, oh, you got to go check this out if you're, you know, you like music. So I went and the show was actually in this like brand new condo 
um, complex where only six people were living in this like giant um, space. And they had this like, it was so California, Selena. It was like <laughs> around this like big pool and it was beautiful outside. And um, everybody was sitting on the ground drinking beers and the, the bands were like right on top of the pool, like so close that I was getting nervous for them. Like they were going to fall in or like kick something <laughs> over. And I just remember sitting there and it was kind of like when I knew I had to move to California, it was the same like deep feeling of, oh, I found you. <laughs> like this is a thing and I need to be a part of it. And I marched right up to um, one of the volunteers and I said, are you taking volunteers? How can I get involved? And I ended up volunteering with them and running their social media for about a year. And then they also gave me the opportunity to lead shows and be the MC on stage, um, which was such a killer experience. I, I can't even tell you. And then they actually hired me part-time this year, right before Corona hit, which is a bummer. Um, but yeah, that's, that was really like discovering so far sounds and discovering that, no, there are jobs in the business side of the music business that get music out to people and help support artists. I just knew that that was my new, uh, career goal and trajectory. What's fantastic about that too, is you took a skill that you had and a, a skill that you knew well, and you were able to leverage that to move into an industry that you really wanted to be in. When a lot of us, I think as marketers, so I'm on the SEO side, I'm mean, going to do a little bit of marketing outside of SEO too, but it's mm -hmm. a little hard to think outside the box and say, I have talents. How can I lend this to this industry? Even though the industry might be viewed as something that's a little more creative, um, less business focused, even though music is very much business focused. So taking that skill to get your pathway in was a great move. Yeah. And you know, I've, I've been in a couple different industries and I've always found that like you with SEO, me with social and content and events, like these are very transferable skills. It's just proving to somebody that you can actually mold it into that industry environment. Because I've worked in food, I've worked in retail, I've worked in tech, um, uh, finance, like all, everything. And it's always, there's always a common sector where I can lend my experience. So I kind of figured, why not music? <laughs> and the, the love and the meaning for me is there. So, you know, that genuine passion is there as well, which I feel like that just bolsters you as a valuable employee even more than in other industries. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So when you were going through that transition, did you have any kind of mentors, people you were leaning on, people inside or even outside the industry that kind of helped you through that? Yeah. Um, my so far sounds family uh, was incredible. So there was about, I want to say 15 volunteers and we all kind of worked different shows. There was three shows a month. So I wouldn't see some folks for like months and other people I was with all the time. And, you know, we were just such like a group of like misfits that all loved music and came together to really put these big shows on. I mean, a hundred people is a big show and we're, none of us were from traditional uh, live event backgrounds. Um, so I would say that if I could shout out anybody, it would be Michelle Smith, who was our director for San Diego at the time. And then the group of folks she really brought on as the volunteer base um, and the artists I worked with as well. I, I learned so much from just asking them, you know, what's a good experience for you? What's not? What do you need help with? Um, yeah, they just really shaped that that year I took to really try to figure out how can I, in a realistic way, get to the music industry. I think it's great that you were asking those questions. A lot of people are afraid of 
making it seem like maybe they don't know as much as people think that they know. But if we take the beginner's mindset, that's the only way that we can really grow. So ask the questions. If you're not sure about something, lean on somebody who can help steer you in the right direction. And that's how you can get where you want to go and build great relationships too. Oh, I say that that's another thing I I would give advice to anyone who's starting something new is you got to just work on that ego (laughs) and you got to drop it. You got to drop it because anything you did previously is great, but it doesn't hold the weight that you think it's going to hold. And people like, you know, coming from journalism, people like when you ask questions, people like when you're interested in doing a good job or you're interested in them. Um, So this is like, like you said, this is my number one way to create relationships because I'm legitimately interested, but two people want to know that you're interested in, in continually improving and helping them out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's okay to feel like you're stumbling along the way. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I I would even venture to say if you're not stumbling a little, maybe you're not moving far enough ahead into where you want to go. I agree. Yeah. And there's that Facebook um, motto that I I love where that we also used at one of my companies, which was to fail fast. Um, And it, you know, creating that culture of failure as a good thing, because it means that you tried something. Um, That's, that's definitely one of my core beliefs that if you're not making mistakes, then you got to do something different because all of us are going to make mistakes and just get comfortable with that. (laughs) Exactly. Comfortable with the uncomfortable. Oh, yes. Yes. Because you're going to be really uncomfortable. So (laughs) get on board. So speaking of uncomfortable side of things, so you took the leap and started working for yourself. I would love to know what that was like, um, if you experienced any challenges, what your routine was like and things like that. Yeah. And just to be fair, I had worked for myself maybe three years ago. Uh, during an in-between time. So I feel like uh, in 2018, when I did that, I learned a lot of that back-end stuff, like accounting, legal, invoicing, like all the bare minimum things you don't really know when you've only been in corporate jobs your whole career. I learned all of that in 2018 when I was um, not focused on the music industry, but was just kind of doing my own thing. And then this time around, um, yeah, it's, it's been funny because I just recently left my corporate job right as Corona was hitting, like maybe two months before. So there had been rumblings of Corona, but you know, none of us really knew it was going to turn into what it is now. So that was definitely a big challenge because you, know, you, you leave security, and I knew I was leaving security to pursue these dreams, but it took on a whole other meaning of security once this, this global pandemic hit. And the way it's kind of shuffled around the music industry has been tough, but you know, I'm not going to say it's all been bad because I feel like there's been so much creativity and innovation within that, especially with artists who are just already so creative and, and down to try things. Um, so I don't think it's, it's been terrible because of that. It's just definitely presented challenges I hadn't planned for when I planned for this transition. Yeah, and the creativity has been a huge part of it, especially on the music side. There's so many artists who have been doing quarantine albums. They've been releasing new styles of music. Mm-hmm. It's just put people in this. I mean, there's obviously the stress aspect, but there's a creative aspect of not having to leave your house, being able to just cultivate an energy and a vibe and really go into things maybe you didn't have time for before. Oh, yeah. And so many people are more, um, they have more time to connect with artists and creatives, and especially through some of these more trying cultural times as well. You know, music is always the backdrop of, of shifts and changes. So I feel like more people are online, they have more time to connect and be a part of 
communities. So in some, some ways, it's actually really exciting to be um, in a creative industry like music. So one thing, I believe it's the Music Mastery Summit. Is that the one that you did recently, maybe a week ago? Yes, we just pulled that off. Yeah, a week and a half ago. Is this the first time it's been online or has it previously been online and this was just the, the biggest version of it? So yeah, it's always been virtual, which was really nice because we didn't have to pivot, you know, like so many events have had to, unfortunately. Um, so it's always been virtual and that was done with the, the goal of accessibility and inclusion, which has always been, you know, a big pillar of this event. And this was actually the third year, but the first year for me being involved. And my teammates, Aaron Wolf, who's a musician in San Diego, and Jamie Tarshis, who's a Facebook ads uh, expert, they just like dreamt it up one day and put it on because they're both, you know, bosses. They're both just like badasses in the space. And then this third year, they asked me to come on board knowing what my plans were. And this is the best year uh, that they've done. And then definitely, I think having other resources come on board, you're always going to be able to do more, um, especially with a virtual event, which is what people are really needing right now. Mm -hmm. hey, did you notice any big differences? So I know this is your first year with them, but prior to doing this, if you were doing social media for events and emceeing, like you had mentioned, what's been the biggest change for you doing it in this format versus the previous ways that you were doing that at other places? Mm, that's a good question. So you mean like a virtual event versus a live concert? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's funny because virtual, and I've noticed this with live events as well, which there's been so many live performances that you can catch on Twitch or Instagram Live or Facebook or anything like that, you know, they're not really concerts, right? You're more kind of, um, I don't know what you would call it, but it's not really a concert because you don't really have that like instantaneous connection to the audience because you can't see them. So it's a performance, but I wouldn't say it's necessarily a concert. Um, so it, it, that just like in real time response and engagement doesn't really happen till after. Um, the musician is performing. So when it's in that kind of context, I would say that that's been the biggest difference between like monitoring the audience environment in real time as like a song's being performed. Whereas when it's like a live stream or virtual event, you're kind of monitoring it from a more distant um, after the song is played kind of way. So I, I think that's a major difference. And then with the virtual summit, I, you know, I've, I've run virtual webinars in the past and things like that. Um, I did not see as much engagement as I did with this summit a week and a half ago. People were just so ready to um, talk to others, to network online. We set up a private Facebook group that I was in charge of. Um, and it really was to almost set up like a virtual um, you know, happy hour for people because when you're in an actual event, you know this, like you, there's usually like a part of the conference hall or the convention center where you can get a drink and, you know, post up at like a high top and say hi to people or, you know, my move is to hang out by the food table <laughs> <laughs> and then like make a comment and then you get into like a cool <laughs> conversation. Um, but so I wanted to give people that same environment. It just happened to be in a Facebook group. So um, people were so um, friendly and open and sharing each other's work and giving real like feedback on songs and things. And 
I, I just have never seen that level of engagement in a virtual event before. So I don't know if that was because, you know, creatives are so giving like that, or it's because of the, the circumstances we're in. But I was so happy to see such like a camaraderie um, displayed between attendees in that Facebook group. It takes away a lot of the intimidation factor too, I feel. So I'm fairly introverted. And when I go to an event, I'm the person who usually has the coffee and I'm just kind of looking around and I'll make eye contact and then end up talking to somebody, but I usually don't go up and struck up conversations. So when you're in a virtual environment like that and everybody's just jazzed about what's going on and you're in your own bubble, but you're also sharing this with people, it just feels, it's a lot easier for people who don't, they're not comfortable in face-to-face big events like that. Yeah, because I think, I think people mistake musicians for always being extroverted and, you know, they're not always. There's, there can be very introverted artists and that's just how they express themselves through songwriting or their instrument or singing, whatever it is. So I just want to be aware of that, um, that you can be a strong performer and share your, your music with people, but you also might need a little bit of a nudge and space to connect with people. Um, so that was something I tried to demonstrate too, is, you know, every day I would post like three different uh, prompts for people. Like what's one thing you learned today? or drop a link to your SoundCloud um, in the comments below, and then comment on three other people's uh, work. You know, like trying to get it going and then letting them take it. And they would just, you know, run with that. They just needed a little bit of a a push. Um, Mm -hmm. So that was just beautiful to see. So when you're uh, spending your time in the group and you're putting these questions together, everything online happens 24 seven. So people might pop in and be chatting late at night. How do you build boundaries and routine around your work, especially right now when we have this COVID situation going on? Yeah, and you know, we had people from all over the world attending. And so even if I posted something at, let's say, 9 a.m. West Coast time in London, it's already getting late, right? And I had some feedback from folks in the UK and Europe saying, hey, I know you're in California, but can you release some of these questions and networking events later um, in the day so that we can participate. And that was some great feedback because I guess I just didn't even think about that. Um, And then for me, you know, especially with customer service, because I've run so many customer service programs in the past, you have to really be clear with people about how they can get help. So for example, for us, if they were, if attendees were having issues with their ticket or um, like operational issues, um, not so much like feedback about the sessions, then they can email a certain email um, or they could send um, a message on the group because I wanted everything to be transparent because you never know when a certain question is affecting like a larger part of the community. So those are my two ways and I repeated it over and over and I pinned it and I, you know, people still would DM me on my personal account. They would DM um, Aaron and Jamie on their personal accounts. They would send Instagram messages. And instead of giving them help through my personal messages, I would say, hey, I totally like get it, but you need to email the email because that's where we have all of our the, our help because otherwise it just gets out of control. And then you, once you lose that control, um, you're not helping anybody and then you're stressed out. And, and I have a theory that communities can always feel if the community manager or leader is feeling a type of way. So you just have to really be guarded and careful about that. And honestly, people respect it because then they know what to do instead of feeling like they're not getting help. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I also feel like on the boundary side, for example, if you were to give somebody help through your DM, you might feel the weight of needing to do that for everybody else who replied. That other person is confused and may tell somebody else to message you via DM. So I think boundaries are really important, even over email, phone conversations, work time. So like a start and finish time, it's all important to just keeping our sanity. Yes. Yeah. Because we're only human, right? Like you can work um, you know, I think I worked more of the, that three day summit period than I have in a long time. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, I have to sleep, even though others are up and learning because our the way our summit was structured is you could view the sessions whenever you wanted, because again, we wanted it to be accessible no matter where you are in the world, but I got to go to sleep. I need my seven to eight hours or I'm not going to be nice to anybody. So yeah, <laughs> it's just, you know, being real, just be real and be yourself and be a human. With sleep and routine and things like that, what does a typical day look like for you if there is a typical day right now? (laughs) Yeah, there's no typical day. Every day is so different. Um, And I don't know about you, but like some days are super quiet and chill and I kind of take the time to work on, you know, things that I've been putting off for a while or do some self-work, things like that. And then other days I'm working from 6 a.m. till 10 o'clock at night. Um, So I think it kind of ebbs and flows like a normal job. And for me, it's a lot of um, email. It's a lot of client calls over Zoom. Um, It's a lot of content calendars. I got to tell you, I have like five content calendars that I go off of and making sure that content is going out. And then I'm monitoring whatever the community responses to that content. Um, So yeah, it's, it's so different every day, but I feel like that's okay. Right. Like I I would rather it be different than just the same every day. Yeah. The routine and tediousness sometimes can just get very overwhelming. Uh, Like just today. So I had a fairly quiet day today, but usually I'm a very ritual and routine driven person in that I chunk out my times in the morning. I have maybe an hour or two where I might drink coffee, write this or that, but I keep that time open But if I end up doing the same repetitive thing day after day, my brain just wants to explode. Like I need the variety. And it's tough when you work for yourself too, because if you're working from a home office, you're confined, you can go to a coffee shop, but I think keeping it fresh uh, and flexible to what you need is key. Oh yeah. And I got to become clean with you. I hate working from home um, because my home is my sanctuary. Like this is where I come to like come down from things and like light my candles and play my records, you know? So it's, it's been difficult because I think in the past I would have gone to a coffee shop. I would have gone, um, when I worked at my corporate job, my team was remote, but we had a campus here in San Diego. So I could go there and then spend the afternoon at a coffee shop nearby and kind of switch it up. So being confined to my home 24 seven, you know, cause of quarantine and, and other things, it's, it's been tough, but I think I've gotten better about being like, okay, we're in work mode right now. And then we're going to take some time to have um, self-care relaxation time. Right. But like like you said, I think scheduling that out makes your brain calm down a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, it really does. The brain loves knowing what's about to happen. So if you can just give it a little bit of something like I'm going to go relax now, it can look forward to that. Um, Do you have something that you do to help your brain turn off from work mode to kind of comfort mode now that you're working from home? Yeah, my living room, which you can't see because I'm in space, 
But um, my living room behind me is kind of my like, that is where I don't do work. I don't bring my laptop on my couch. I don't like answering emails while I'm watching TV. Like that's my sacred space. And then my little office here is work. So I think training my brain to, to switch gears when I'm in these two separate spaces um, has been really, really helpful. And I want to get even like one of those like partitions <laughs> that like blocks because it's all like free flowing into each other. Um, so yeah, I think those little triggers in your brain of like, now I'm at my desk, even though I'm still in my home, I'm at my desk and I'm going to do work. But when I'm on my couch, I'm, you know, like I said, lighting those candles, listening to music, watching my Netflix shows, like that is for Allison time, right? So I just really try not to cross those lines if I can. I think that's fantastic. You have so much more self-control than I do. (laughs) I have to or it's a disaster, so. (laughs) I stay in my office primarily, but there are days where I end up on the couch. I have the dining room table that I work at. Sometimes I work on the floor. Sometimes if I'm writing, I'm right in bed. I am all over the place. And I always talk about how important it is to have the structured workspace. And I adhere to it like 90% of the time, but there's some days where I'm just like, fuck it, I'm going to work over here. My body needs it. Yes, no, absolutely. And I'm not saying I'm perfect at it because I'm not perfect at anything. Like there's some days, I think during the music summit, I was on the ground, like sitting on my meditation bolster, (laughs) writing something. And I was like, what are you doing? You know, like, how did I end up here? Um, So definitely high stress days will take you all over the place. But I try to stick to those guidelines most of the time. Do you have, so now we're in a period of time where we're, online connecting primarily. So we're doing Zoom calls and stuff like that, even in our personal lives. If you needed some kind of business advice or just talk through some challenges that you're experiencing, do you have specific people that you chat with? Do you have online areas or groups that you go to? What does that look like for you? Um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm lucky that I have, I call them my work wife squad, <laughs> where I, I have kind of accumulated this group of women that I've worked with in corporate before. And I just pick, it's like a bat phone where if I'm going through something and I don't know what to do, I just, I'm so lucky that I get to just pick up the phone and call them, even if it's for like three minutes to be like, I'm freaking out. This thing happened. Tell me what to do. You know, they are so good at anchoring me down because they're not emotionally in it. They're outside of it. So they can say, okay, here's what you can do. Step one, two, three. Um, This actually happened like just yesterday where it was like a three minute phone call to one of them and it made my whole world so much better. Um, So I'm, I'm lucky where I have that network, but then also on the music side, because music is so different, I've also found a community of fellow music marketers and we have an email chain where one of us will just like say, hey, this thing just happened. I don't know what to do or I don't feel good about it or you know, have you guys ever run into this? And one of us will respond and say, yeah, here's what I did. So I think it's just, you know, I I try to practice what I preach. I I rely on my communities a lot. Um, And then I can build communities for others who can hopefully have the same support. Kind of like the idea of the personal advisory board. You just have key people that you know you can trust. They have great work ethic. You know that they are kind of the boss of their lives and you can just throw some stuff at them and they can give you feedback. Oh, yeah. And like I said, they're busy. They have full lives. They have kids and, you know, partners and they're doing they have really high intensity jobs. But we kind of all have this social contract with each other where it's like if you get an SOS, then you you give them three to five minutes just to be like, okay, 
here's the strategy, right? So it's, it's really, um, it's not just me reaching out, it's, it's them too, but yeah, relationships and especially women are just the best. Like we just hold each other down no matter what. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know what I would do without my girlfriends who are there to support me. Even if I have the most stupid, random, non-work, whatever question, they're just like, tell me what it is. Like, I want to hear, I want to help you. Yeah. I think entrepreneurs or even just personal life, having those key people that you can lean on is so important. Yeah. Especially like you said, working from home where you're kind of isolated. It's so nice to hear somebody else's voice. Cause you know, when I worked in an office, I could run over to their other office and say, you know, like close the door and be like, this thing happened, you know, and then you both kind of like work it out and then you run out, but we can't do that right now. So it's kind of, it's making do with what we got, which is pick up the phone, say it really quick, figure it out and then bounce. So it's that Mm -hmm. same dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So at this point in time, I love asking fast questions to get your take on things. I've compiled a list for something I call the speed round. Are you ready? Oh, I'm so ready. I love that you do this. All right, let's do this. Okay. First off, favorite book or podcast? My favorite, I'm podcast obsessed. I listen to them all day, but my favorite right now is Radio Rental. Have you heard of it? I haven't. Okay. So if you liked um, Stranger Things, you'll like this podcast because it's basically Rain Wilson from The Office pretending to be this like really weird VHS like blockbuster store owner and he'll take out a VHS or like a video and it's somebody's real life horror story of something that happened to them. Oh, it's so cool. And like vintage and the sound production's amazing. And the stories are wild. And you can tell these people aren't making it up. Like they're just regular people who are like this crazy thing happened. I don't know why. Um, So I'm obsessed with that. I'm adding that to my list as soon as we get off this episode. You will dig it because I know you like horror movies like I do. Uh You you will dig it for sure. Awesome. I can't wait to listen to it. (laughs) Okay. Two songs that get you pumped up. I mean, anything by Beyonce. Um, Literally. I mean, the the breakdown she does in Homecoming to I've been getting too much money. I mean, that just like pumps me up all the time. I listen to that at least once a day. And then also... um, the uh oh my god black panther soundtrack i love movie soundtracks Mm. in general but i love black panther and then also spider-man um the last one that came out i think it was home in the dark the one where it's animated oh yes uh it's the multi-dimensional one i don't know the exact name of it but that soundtrack is amazing oh my god that i put on that or black panther and then i just like get in the zone so yeah i would say anything beyonce and anything i guess marvel movie soundtrack related (laughs) it makes life feel epic when you have that playing in the background exactly you're just you get taken out of your stuff and then it also pumps you up Mm -hmm. all right boldness adaptability fearlessness and confidence what do you feel got you to where you are now and what is a skill that you want to build upon I think, I think boldness is definitely what got me to this place now. I think it's being used to taking risks. And even if you fail, like we were talking about, I'm not really scared of that. I'm more scared of not doing the thing instead of what happens after. So I I think that does take a certain amount of boldness. But I think what I have to work on is confidence because being new to the music industry, there's so much to learn, even though I have so much to offer. So I think it's still, I think it's trying to balance um, being a newbie and and asking questions and all of that, but then also having the confidence to make people feel like they're in good hands with you. 
Got it. Got it. Okay. So this might tie right into this question. What is one piece of advice that you would give someone who wants to live permissionless and make a leap, but they haven't done that yet? I hate to say it, um, but like Nike says, just do it. Just do it. Like I just, I think the more you overthink it and the more you come up with excuses not to do it, um, time will go by and you'll find yourself in a situation that doesn't resonate anymore with you. Um, so I, I, I really just say, go do it, figure it out. It will work out, but like, just, just take that leap. I love that. It is the most simplest and truest advice I think that you could give anybody. Yes. Okay. Who is somebody, and this can be a person in your life. It can be somebody that you only know from afar. Who do you feel truly lives permissionless? Um, so anyone who knows me knows that I was going to say Beyonce because <laughs> I am just like her number one fan. But honestly, even if you're not a fan of Beyonce, just looking at what she's accomplished in, I don't know, the 20 years or so that she's been in the music industry, um, the risks she's taken the ownership she has. Um, she has her own company. She manages herself. She fired her dad uh, two albums ago. I mean, she, in, in the spirit of permissionless, she does not ask for permission from anyone except herself. And I feel like that is such a measure of success is you're changing the world based on what you want to do. Um, and that's where she's at in her career. And it's, it's a position that a lot of artists don't get to anymore where they can make decisions and just go. Um, usually artists come with such a big uh, group of decision makers who are kind of boxing them in at all times or, or guarding them, but she has none of that. And I just, I admire that so much. She is the perfect blend of artist and businesswoman. She does everything so well and she makes all the decisions she needs to and she can just grow from there. Oh yeah. She's an icon. I mean, even like if you just looked at Coachella and what she did to that traditionally white audience and brought in such a celebration of black community and culture and music, I mean, who else would have done that, but somebody like Beyonce and she did it. It's not only that she could do it. She actually did it. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I just think she's phenomenal. She is fantastic. Mm -hmm. I feel like there could just be a whole episode dedicated to talking about Beyonce. Oh, please invite me. If you do that. <laughs> I will just go off. <laughs> okay. So for anybody who wanted to find you online, where would they look to find you? Yeah. So my website is allisonclancy.work. Um, and then I'm most active on Instagram and it's just my name. So it's underscore allisonclancy underscore. Um, so that's, if you wanted to talk to me, that's where I'll be. And then just one other plug, I put out a weekly uh, music tech newsletter called B-Sides, which I love doing every week. Um, so yes, yeah, subscribe for that too, just if you want like a quick shot of, of what's going on in the music and tech world. I started diving into your B-Sides newsletter and I love it. It's just little perfect nuggets of information and it's so easy to go through and find what I want and it's very inspiring. So thank you for putting that together. Oh, thank you so much. That's exactly what I wanted it to be. It's like, if you don't have time to kind of process all this information, this newsletter will, will help you do it quickly. So thank you. Of course. Well, I had a great time being in space with you for Permissionless. I feel like this has been a new frontier that we've conquered. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. I love that speed round. Thank you. So anybody who wants to learn more about what Allison is up to, you can visit her on her website and social media. And if you check out the episode page, I'll have a transcript and a couple few little tidbits about her. So thank you so much for joining me and I'll catch you on the next episode.
If you enjoyed this episode, head on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a review or tell some friends. You can follow Permissionless at permission underscore less on Twitter and Instagram, and you can find me at Selena Vidia there as well. As I mentioned in the last episode, I recently launched something I was prototyping for quite some time called the Map Planner. The Map Planner is a system I created that combines creativity, introspection, and purposeful planning into your day, so you can tame your inner chaos and take inspired action daily. As a thank you for listening and supporting this episode, you can get 10% off the Map Planner with the code PERMISSIONLESSPOD. You can find the map planner on actionalchemy.co and I'll have a link and the code in the show notes as well. Thank you so much and I'll catch you next time.